Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I'm your hostess, Pat Rulo, and today I am thrilled to share one of our recent Firebird Book Award winners. She is Dr. Patty Novotny-Taylor, and her four award-winning books are titled My Dead Mama's Wind Chimes, Making Miracles, Slip Away, 11 Escape Stories, and Chocolate Kisses, co-authored with her husband, Neil. Patty earned a Bachelor's of Science degree in nursing, a doctorate in psychology, and master's degrees in mental health counseling and creative writing. She prides herself on being a lifetime learner. Patty and her attorney husband, Neil, enjoy traveling and co-writing. They have support from many family animals, Siamese Merlin and mighty Minimut Oso. And I am so looking forward to finding out more about her. So welcome to the network, Patty. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I have the support of family animals, too. I have 13 rescue cats, so uh, they, they support me constantly. <laughs> I know how that is. I was doing my yoga class this morning, and and the Siamese was behind me, and then he was on my chair, and then he was in my lap, and I finally just had to put everything down. <laughs> sit down and rock him and then he was okay <laughs> oh my gosh no yoga for you right no yoga today no that's funny well listen congratulations on the win four books they were awesome books i read them all myself too thank you yes yes today let's touch on each one of them very briefly if we can just to highlight them and let folks know a little bit about them Let's start with Making Miracles. What did you want to accomplish when you wrote Making Miracles or actually any of your nonfiction books? I wanted, with, with uh, all of my nonfiction, but in particular Miracles, I wrote that for one purpose, and that was to help people heal themselves. And um, I, as a professor in psychology and counseling, I had doctoral students who would, they would just stop doing their work. They would just disappear and I would reach out to them and they would say they didn't think they could do the work. So then I would explain to them how the university would never have allowed them into the, into the program if they weren't capable of doing the work. And when we got into it, always, 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 the bottom line was, I don't deserve a doctorate. I don't deserve for people to call me doctor. I don't deserve this wonderful education. Oh. So I listened to that. You know, every every time I had a new group of students, there was at least one person who verbalized that. And so I decided to just take the bull by the horns and just teach right out front. The very first day I got into it, and one of the things that um, my students said helped them more than anything was, um, I'm going to say this out loud, and I hope that the listeners will grab a pen and paper and jot this down. And I'm going to put it in first person. It's two sentences, and I will repeat it. Here it is. The simple fact that I exist guarantees my worthiness. I am enough. And I'll say that a second time. The simple fact that I exist guarantees my worthiness. I am enough. And I'd like for you to put that on post-its everywhere that you go, on your door, on your computer, on your bathroom mirror, on your refrigerator, on your TV, so that you see it frequently. And when you get to a point where it's habitual and you no longer see it, start over. Write them out again. How important is that? And fortunately for you, they felt comfortable with you to 
express that because I do believe a lot of people keep that stuffed up and bottled inside and don't share that with anybody and spend a lifetime feeling that way. Well, I did that. I didn't think I deserved. And then, you know, there was something, there was something that it just got angry inside me when I thought I didn't deserve good stuff. And I thought, you know, my granny loved me. There must be some kernel of goodness somewhere in me. By God, I'm going to do whatever the hell I want. <laughs> and that's when it really when I took off. And that I thought I was the only one in the world felt that way. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't. Oh, wow. What a gift you are to your students. And now to put that in words, making miracles. I think it's just just a beautiful book. I'm so happy that you shared it with us, that it won, and that it's it's still out there and people are being inspired by it. Thank you. Yeah. All right, let's move on to Dead Mama's Wind Chimes. I happen to enjoy that book as well. Tell us <laughs> tell us a bit about that. Um, when I write fiction, my goal is always to make people cry with laughter and cry with some kind of sadness. When I, the first time I wrote that book, I wrote it from the father's perspective. And um, I really liked it better from the father's perspective because I'm a parent. But then I decided to write it from the teenage girl's perspective. And it deals with it deals with um, the death of the mother and how difficult that was for that, that loving, solid family to grieve through that and the book follows the first year after that death and um, comes to a very happy place in the end, but it was a grueling year. That's rather fascinating that you wrote it from the father's perspective, then scrapped that and wrote it from the child's perspective. That's very interesting. It's almost like rewriting the whole book. I mean, well, it, it, it was. I did. I did. I had completed from the father's perspective, completed that manuscript. And then when I decided to change it, well, you know, teenagers see things in, from an entirely different perspective than a parent, and it, it really meant scrapping the whole entire manuscript and starting from scratch. Oh, I wonder how that would read side by side if you read one and read the other, what you would feel and learn differently or the same. Well, I thought about going back and doing that. I, I destroyed Sam's story. But I thought about going back and rewriting that. It would be very easy now that I've done the story from the daughter's perspective. But I have so many projects, I, I don't know if I'll ever get to that. <laughs> I've never heard anyone say that they've done that before. Actually, it's like, kind of like that idea. Then we have Slip Away, 11 Escape Stories. Where did those come from? The very first one of those, we have a daughter who was 38 when she died two and a half years ago. And the first of those stories I actually wrote when she was an infant. And I just kept sticking them back. Well, then I lost them. And so I tried to remember, okay, I know that story was about such and such. So, so I, you know, I guess I'm just not very careful with what I write because I tend to lose or destroy it. <laughs> so um, I rewrote, that, that was the story. Uh, the very first one was the story of the kid in the basement. Then I just wrote one story after another. Just I, I tell you when I did it, I took my two children to Oklahoma where my family is, and uh, I stood at the kitchen sink doing dishes by hand. And like once a week, I would get these stories. And the way I write, the whole entire thing is in my mind. Every single word is in my mind. And when it's completed, then I sit down and type it out. 
And that's what happened, doing dishes at my mom and dad's house. I uh, wrote about a story a week on an old typewriter. You know, those old <laughs> manual typewriters, there was no electricity for me. Oh, my gosh. That's fascinating as well. So here you are kind of mindlessly doing the dishes or doing a mindless kind of a task, and then all of this creativity comes pouring out. Yeah. When did Chocolate Kisses, that's the one you co-authored with your husband, where in the cycle of book writing did that one occur? I started it, I don't know when, many, many years ago I started that book. Uh, I wrote a romance novel when I was 10 years old, and I thought that I had to go out in the field and do some research. You know, I'd find some cute guy and try something on it, and they failed miserably every single time because I was a 10-year-old kid trying to pretend like I'm flirting, you know. (laughs) These guys were old enough to be actual, they were old enough to actually date. So they would look at me funny, you know, and then they didn't respond the way they were supposed to respond. So I gave up. (laughs) You're funny. uh, (laughs) I just embarrassed myself a lot. (laughs) But my husband, I said, here, honey, read this section. I'm trying to make this funny and I'm just not a comedian. And he, so he read and he said, this is really good. And so I'm I'm writing, and I said, you know, I'm trying to describe this this uh, conference room, and you know, I want to make it a really nice. Con- and so he says, oh, something about whisper soft closing of the of the mahogany doors or some something something. I just remember it was mahogany doors, and they were very silent when they closed. And so he wrote that, and then I'm looking for what kind of vehicle this dude driving. And he says, well, it's got to be this. And I said, okay, we've got to write this book together because I need you for too much of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so we wrote it, and we actually finished it on a trip to Scotland. We were stayed in a 150-year-old uh, thatched roof cottage with a peat moss fire, and we froze our tails off at night. It was pretty cold during the day, too, but... Um, we finished it on that trip on the Isle of Vimbecula and weren't able to print it out till we got home. But we got home, printed out, and we read it, and we said, hey, this this isn't bad. So we started editing. And here's the thing. My whole entire life, I wanted to be a comedian, and I'm just not funny. And when I do public speaking, there's always a time or two that the audience is in uproar and laughing and I'm never quite sure what it is I've said or done that made them last. I couldn't do it on purpose if my life depended on it. So when we wrote that book, I said, I, I, I'm going to take a shot at writing something at least humorous. But when that book won the award for romantic comedy, <laughs> I was just through the roof. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> I did it. <laughs> my life with Neil is just storybook. And and I know a storybook because I was married to a man for nine years, and then I was married to another man for for six years. That's 15 years with two other men. And then then I came to Neil, and it was it, it's so entirely different. It, it there's not a moment of my life that I'm not grateful to have that man in my life. I love that. That's so beautiful. Sometimes it takes a while to find that person, but then you did. And so it's it was worth those 15 years of knowing what wasn't right for you. Yeah. Well, you know, and I wasn't his type. He liked a, a taller woman with darker skin, and I'm extremely fair and short. 
And I always was attracted to short men. I, I didn't, I, I always had some intimidation with, with men who were, you know, I'm not talking really tall. I'm just any tall at all. And he's a lot taller than I was ever comfortable with. So it's, we were not each, it's, we, we both had to overcome some of those internal biases before we could even get together. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you matched where it counts and that's from the heart. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Where does your cover art come from? The ones, the books that I published in 2017 were Miracles and Slip Away. And I paid someone, I found them through Fiverr. <clears throat> then my sister-in-law, Neil's sister, Candy, is an artist and she's won some big awards and, you know, well, she wanted to add to her portfolio. And I said, here's a perfect opportunity make these covers for me. So she did Wind Chimes and Chocolate Kisses, and I could not be more pleased with those covers. They are works of art. Mm -hmm. No, I agree. I think they're very attractive. It makes you want to open the book. Good, good. Yep. You know, on uh, Wind Chimes, unless you really, really look off on the right-hand side, there, kind of in the distance, there is a windmill. And Candy put that windmill in there because... Uh, their dad, Neil and Candy's dad, lived in Oracle in a small community, and he had a windmill that they all helped to erect when they were kids. And that windmill there, she put that specifically just for the family. Oh. So people who don't aren't in the family aren't even going to notice that windmill. Oh, my. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. How special is that? I love when you have, like, these little... Easter eggs, like a little hunt, you know, and you've got mm-hmm. these little secrets in there. That's awesome. I'm going to have to check that out. Oh, my gosh. So what are you working on now? Right now, I, well, I'm I'm working on a, another story, uh, Chocolate Kisses. One of the characters in Chocolate Kisses, I'm working on on her love story. And I keep nagging Neil. He's, you know, he's a full-time attorney, and he works far more than 40 hours a week. And I keep saying, he's going to have to retire so he can help me with this book. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> he will die at his desk. He just, he loves the law. Wind chimes. I'm thinking with wind chimes. There's a lot of fodder there. A lot of characters that I could easily do more books on. And I'm still thinking about going back and and writing the dad's perspective on that book. I really wish you would. I that fascinates me. I would love to read both at the same time. You know, one after the other, and just kind of fill in the blanks mm-hmm. with that and see how that goes. But you got so much going on, my friend. That's exciting. You have a very exciting and fulfilled life. I do. I know. I, I can. I can tell. So, is there anything that we missed that you wanted to talk about today? I, I would like. I would like to give people a challenge. You know, Fred Rogers from Mister Rogers' Neighborhood. Yes. Well, well, let me back up a little bit. There is this neuropsych thing. The right prefrontal cortex is the site of doom and gloom. So if you're thinking negative thoughts, you are in your right prefrontal cortex. And you can flip that neural switch just like a light switch very, very quickly and easy, easily so that you flip into your left prefrontal cortex where everything is lightness and joy, peace, happy thoughts. And here's a way to do it. Your brain cannot stay in a bad place if you smile. So if you don't feel like smiling, you can put your fingers up at your mouth and push your your mouth into a smiling position, and it still works. You get a wonderful bath of, of neurochemicals that feel great, and they flood your entire body. 
Okay. If you don't want to hold your mouth with your fingers, you can just put a pencil crossways in your mouth. You know, hold it with your teeth. That will put your, your mouth into a smiling position, and you get the same neuro-flipping um, effect and, and chemical bath. Fred Rogers from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood used to do what I call a smile challenge, and he said, go out and smile people into smiling. So you go out and you deliberately smile at people and see how many will smile back at you. You get that flood of wonderful uh, chemical bath in your every neuron and cell in your brain and your body, and anyone who smiles back at you gets it too. And even those who don't smile at you, if they see your smile, they get that effect also. Even if they don't smile, they get some of it. So my challenge is go out and smile people into smiling, just like Fred Rogers. And now that we could take these crazy masks off, people could see our smiles instead of just the crinkle in our eye, right? Exactly. And I've had a hard time with, with that because mm -hmm. I tend, I just noticed that I tend not to actually look at people's faces when I'm wearing a mask and they're wearing a mask. Yes. And it just hurts my, hurts my heart that I don't, because I, before mask wearing, I was one to always look people directly into the eye and smile. I didn't care who they were or what. It was looking them directly in the eye that was important, and I can't look somebody in the eye and not smile. So I I just think it's so, 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 so important to smile at people. Oh, I'm glad you said that. I'm a smiler. I smile at everybody. I say hi, and, you know, they probably think I'm a little cuckoo, but um, I'm one of the smilers. So I'm, my brain is flooded almost all of the time. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. You know, here's something. When I was 10, it must have been in Psychology Today or something, but I read an article that said that people get into elevators and they won't look at each other. They look at the floor, they look up, they look anywhere but at each other. And I thought, huh. So I would go downtown just for the purpose of riding elevators so that I could look people in the eye. And if they didn't look in, if they didn't look in my face, I spoke to them. And it was, it was just a challenge to me. Oh. And boy, that article was right, especially at that time. People did not look at, it was like a, a privacy thing and a, and a uh, you know, spatial mm -hmm. thing, thing out of someone's space. Because when you look in someone's face, in a way you are getting in their space. And if you look at them in the face and you smile at them, then you're really getting in their space. Isn't that great? Yes. And I think, you know, if you, if it's done with sincerity and love and, you know, I think the other person can feel that as well. This is a beautiful time uh, uh, in, in life and in society when we really do need to bring these smiles out because people need them. People need to see yes. that they do. Thank you for sharing well, I, that. I noticed at that time, even people who didn't smile back at me, their shoulders relax. Mm -hmm. All right, people get out there and smile. All right, my friend. Well, let's get to some contact information so that folks can find out where they can get copies of your books. And if they want to uh, reach out to you, where would they do so? The copies of the books you can get um, through my website, which is DocTaylorBooks.com. D-O-C, Taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, books, with an S on it, dot com. And all the books, wherever you buy books, you can buy three of them are on audio and you can get them wherever you get audio through there. And if they want to 
email me. I am at drpattytaylor at gmail.com. So it's D-R, Patty with an I, P-A-T-T-I with a dot on it, Taylor at gmail.com. Excellent. So we talked about four books today. We talked about Making Miracles, My Dead Mama's Wind Chimes, Slip Away, 11 Escape Stories, and Chocolate Kisses, co-authored with Patty's husband, Neil. Her website is doctaylorbooks.com, or you can email her at drpattytaylor at gmail.com. Well, my friend, you have given us way more than just talking about your books. You gave us some really sound and healthy and happy advice today. So I'm really happy that we had this conversation. Thank you so, so much. And and, uh, keep us posted on any new books that you're writing. I will. Thank you so much, Pat.